Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to Morbid early and ad-free. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. You're listening to a Morbid Network podcast. Audible lets you enjoy all your audio entertainment in one app. You'll always find the best of what you love or even something new to discover. They offer an incredible selection of audiobooks across every single genre, from bestsellers and new releases to celebrity memoirs, mysteries, thrillers, which I'm super into lately, motivation, wellness, business, and even more. Audible's the destination for thrilling audio entertainment with highly anticipated new releases and next listen recommendations to habituate every type of thriller listener. Keep your heart rate up month after month with this pulse-pounding collection that you can't hear anywhere else. I actually just finished listening to, it's one of my favorite stories, but listening to it was even cooler. It was The House Across the Lake by Riley Sager. It's narrated by Bernadette Dunn, and I think they just have one of the best voices for an audiobook. As an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash morbid or text morbid to 500-500. That's audible.com slash morbid or text morbid to 500-500 to try Audible free for 30 days. Audible.com slash morbid. They say time waits for no one, and in my opinion, neither should Payday. To keep your money moving in the direction of your dreams, get Earnin. Earnin is the app that's helping millions of Americans to feel self-sufficient without falling into debt traps. It's an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Just download the Earnin app and verify your paycheck, then access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid in your next paycheck. I think Earnin is helpful in so many different ways. You could get ready for like a special night out, you know, Valentine's Day. I think it was on like a Tuesday. What if your payday's Friday? No worries if you have Earnin, you can pay for that Valentine's Day dinner. So download Earnin today, spelled E A R N I N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earnin app, type in Morbid under podcast when you sign up. It'll really help the show. Morbid under podcast. Subject to your available earnings location, daily max, and pay period. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Hey, weirdos, I'm Ash. And I'm Elena. And this is Morbid. This is morbid and it's part two it's part two it's the same day for us different day for you that's right we're in january <laughs> but we're not <laughs> we're in january but we're not <laughs> whatever you're not my january <laughs> there you go <laughs> i don't know it's been a, it's been a long day it has it's and you that, know what what no we you what you oh, said I, you know what i don't even know what you were going somewhere with that <laughs> I don't know. To be honest, I forgot where I was going. <laughs> so that worked out really well for both of us. So here we are. We're in part two. We are dazed and confused. A little bit. We're, you know, we're talking about Theodore Durant. I'm interested in this case, dude. It's a wild case. I know. I don't even want to have any bullshit. I need you to tell me about, about Blanche. Yeah, we got to talk about the demon in the belfry. 
Uh, we have just found Minnie. We've just found her in a horrific state. Yeah. She was brutal. posed very, like, she, she was, like, desecrated, essentially. She was posed spread eagle. She was stabbed multiple times. She had fabric shoved down her throat Ugh. while she was alive. She With was, a knife, basically. Yeah, or not even a knife, a like a sharpened steak, essentially. Like a shank. And she was raped before and after death. It is horrific. The scene is horrific. This is kind of probably a terrible question, but now I'm just curious. How can they tell that it happened both before and after? I think they can tell by the, um, the say this as delicately as possible, by yeah. the injuries, how they healed, okay. if they healed, you know, that okay. kind of thing. How you can tell when um, an injury is inflicted after death because it, you know, it doesn't bleed. The, the way that the injury looks and the way that the bruising happens and the blood flows or doesn't flow. Okay. Yeah, so I think it's the same kind of thing. Thank you. That was a, um, that was a very delicate way to answer. I that. tried. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so that's where we last left you. They, I mean, Blanche's family had on the same day that Minnie was found gotten three of her rings sent to them in a weird, crude package. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have people finally pointing the finger at Theo, connecting the two that they were dating, that they had dated. Excuse me, that Minnie and Blanche knew each other. There's a lot of connections here. So police were searching the church and its grounds because Detective Gibson had said he believed now with all the information he had that they were going to find Blanche on the church grounds. He just had a hunch. So they were searching the church and its grounds based off of that hunch. And on the morning of April 14th, only the day after Minnie was found and the day after those rings came, they made their way up to the belfry. Okay. The belfry is uh, where the bell is. Yep. Essentially. Like how you say like bats in the belfry. Yeah. Mm. There's usually bats in a belfry. (laughs) Whenever I read it, I always read it as belfry. Belfry. It does look like belfry. So. Belfry. Uh, Belfry. Now this is where they finally found the body of Blanche Lamont. Mm. She was nude, completely nude, but she had been laid out and and displayed in a notably different way than many. Although she was nude, her legs were put together like purposely, her arms were crossed over her chest in almost a show of modesty. And the killer had even spread her hair out in a fan-type pattern across the floor underneath her. What? Described as so that it flowed across the rough boards in a shiny silken stream. What the fuck? Very much, like, displayed her in a modest and, like... Like an angel. Very much like an angel. Minnie was spread eagle, had her dress hiked up, and was displayed like garbage. Yeah. Now, Virginia McConnell, who I mentioned her book in part one, and I will I will again link it in part two, um, she mentioned in her book that this is a classic case of undoing. Mm. This is a term coined by Robert Resler, and it's basically when the killer tries to hide or reverse what they've done. It comes from a feeling of guilt or shame, And there is some twisted sense of remorse involved. They try to escape the consequences by pretending it didn't happen. How interesting that he would do that with Blanche, but not with Minnie. Exactly. Now, the Belfry, and we'll get into like some of that a little bit. Now, the Belfry was high and it was very dry up there. So the body was not as decomposed as it normally would have been after as long as it had been. It had had been at least 10, 11 days. Um, Apparently, according to the reports, though... And this is kind of graphic, so just prepare. As soon as the morgue attendants began to carry her body down the long, winding stairway, 
quote, the pent up process of decomposition released itself all at once and the sharp stench of decayed flesh permeated the area. Oh. So they were not spared that. So there's that. After a formal autopsy, Dr. John Barrett noted that like many, Blanche had also been sexually assaulted and he recorded the cause of death as asphyxiation. That's just like many. Evident by what the press referred to as, quote, blue streaks on her neck, the marks of fingers that have been pressed deep into the tender flesh. Ooh. In fact, I have a book, that book that I spoke about in part one, it's this trial transcript of the trial of William Henry Theodore Durant. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that, it says that when they were talking to Dr. Barrett, he said, quote, I found seven fingernail incisions on the left side of her throat and five on the right side. Which is very, like, so clearly it was manual Mm -hmm. strangulation. In that same thing, he also is talking about, like, stomach contents and all that stuff. And he actually refers to um, having a period as the monthly sickness. And I thought that's very accurate. I'm going to start calling it that. (laughs) It truly is the monthly sickness. It absolutely is. I get that. Now, evidence was found at the scene as well. Boot prints were discovered in the dust on the belfry floor. And they were about a size eight or nine. Okay. Blanche's clothing she was wearing when she went missing and her school books were found in the rafters. So he had hidden them in the rafters. That's weird. Both Minnie and Blanche's crime scenes were highly disorganized and clearly were not planned out ahead of time, ahead of the commission. Detective Gibson and the deputy coroner found the library card of Blanche Lamont on the floor of the library where Minnie was. And the deputy coroner noted that the blood on the wall, where um, where Minnie was especially, didn't appear to have been splattered onto the wall in the commission of a crime. Some of it did. Sure. But he said some of it looked like it had been thrown onto the walls. Like what? he had been in such a state, frenzied and animalistic, that he had actually thrown handfuls of blood around the room. What? Yeah, in Minnie's crime scene. And do you think it could have also been, like, him throwing her around? I don't know. It, they, honestly, they said it looked like he was throwing blood. Like, it was splattered on the wall. Yeah. And, do, like, do you think he was doing that for, like, some kind of, like, in his frenzy or, like, knowingly just, like, splattering her blood onto the wall? No, I think it was a frenzy. I think he was angry. And I think he was in a frenzy. And I think he was, like, an animal. And he just was throwing things like an animal would. This is the craziest thing that you're like, everyone liked this guy. He worked at this church. He built things for this church. He helped his neighbors. Mm -hmm. That lady was like, oh, my God, he's going to get me off this trolley. And then he, this man throws this woman's blood all over the place after, like, eviscerating her. And then killing Blanche Lamont with his hands, choking her to death. Yeah. But then leaving her, like, angelically up in the belfry. Right. And I don't know if, like, and we'll talk about it for sure, but, like, the Madonna whore thing is definitely seeming to be here. So I heard you and Dave, like, talking about that the other night. That's our friend that helps with research. He's, like, the bestest ever. I don't really know what that means. It's hard to explain. I'm sure I'm not a religious person, so I don't know the ins and outs of it. But, like, Madonna is like the she's you know Mary. she's the she would be like what the mother mary is you know like the madonna and then we have like um mary uh what's her name mary magdalene is that the one i don't know there's another one that's like the whore oh, you know what i mean so it's like mary so there's like the madonna and the whore okay. and a lot of things we see seem to be based on that idea of 
a woman is a Madonna or she's a whore and there is nothing in between. Okay. And it's like, that's what the idea is here that like, but it's like you, you are either both. one or the other and, and they were left as such. They it's were displayed so as such. Minnie was displayed as the quote, and I, this is obviously not my feeling. I'm saying no, of course not. She was displayed as the idea of the whore. She was spread eagle. Her yeah. dress was pulled up. Right. She was savaged beyond belief. She was left with clothes strewn everywhere. But then Blanche was savaged in her own way. Absolutely. But she was left like an angel, like right. that Madonna, like the hair spread out, the modest covering. And it's also straight. Do, do you think a class, a classism? 100%. Goes into that? 100%. Of because it's both of these women left you for the same reason. You yeah. Know? Like neither one of them wanted to have sex with yeah. you because you, you guys weren't married. But to me, he was angrier at Minnie because she was supposed to. Because okay. of where she came from and because of what she did. Okay. And she didn't. And okay. he was mad about it. I, I can totally see that. And I and think he was mad at both of them, but I think Minnie got it because you were supposed to be the easy one. And I think it's also from like what you've told me, Minnie flat out said, no, yeah. not going to happen. Whereas Blanche said, not right now. I'd like to slow down. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. And I yeah, think so it, I see yeah. that now. I get I, what you're saying. I think it was, this is just my theory. Obviously, we, we don't have him around to tell us what the fuck the reason was and for he all doesn't. this and he doesn't he doesn't oh. give a motive he doesn't even admit to it but what? what it looks like to me is that he was projecting his own ideas of who these women were and what they were supposed to be comfortable with onto them in this way and being like minnie was supposed she's a maid she's right. lower class she was supposed to be what i want her to be mm -hmm. and she wasn't and blanche was supposed to be what i want her to be but to him, she was the higher class. She was that idea okay. of, you know what I mean? So we had also he had also made or found his weapons at the crime scene. Mm -hmm. If you think about it. the piece of wood was taken off the table and the knife was a butter knife taken from the church kitchen. He used his hands. He didn't bring something into the church planning to do this. He did it in there. Do you think whatever he was, was available. planning to do it? Regardless. I think he was planning on raping them. Okay. But I think something it must escalated. have gone awry. And then once he had done it, he had done it with Blanche. And then I think he brought Minnie in there thinking he could get her to sleep with him. Mm -hmm. And I think she probably didn't want to. So he just did the same and thing. And he got angry. Mm. And I think that's what that was. And it could have been a situation where he raped Blanche because he she was sexually assaulted. He raped Blanche and then he figured he had to kill her or she would tell. Right. And so he killed her with his hands, manually strangling her. He displayed her like he looked at her. Mm -hmm. And that's then he brought Minnie in there, thinking he would be able to get Minnie to do it. And when she said no, he was that's outraged. when he got angry. And he left her how he, well, how he saw her. Checks. It's fucked up. But investigators also deduced that he likely knew his victims. This was not random strangers. He had to have gotten them into that church without much fuss. Especially considering the gr degree to which the neighbors watched that church like a hawk. Right. He wasn't going to be able to drag somebody into that church. And nobody saw him drag anybody into that church. They saw him walk the two victims into that church. So they did find some bloody footprints left on the floor leading out of the library. But it looked like the killer had stepped in the blood with only one of his shoes. So the footprints were only one foot. Huh. 
Um, that comes back a little later, but also interesting was that the killer had broken the handles and locks of both doors leading to the library and the belfry. So he had intentionally tried to stop people from finding the bodies for some time. They also pointed to the killer obviously being familiar with the church and its comings and goings because he had to be pretty confident that no one would try to go up into the belfry. And it was rare for anyone to go into the room where Minnie was, too. Mm -hmm. So he knew that this was going to be some time before they were found. Hey, guys, I have to tell you about this all-in-one shake that I'm freaking loving. It's called Kachava. I love saying it. It's actually hands down the best thing that I've found to help me get all my essential nutrients into one day. Kachava is the all-in-one superfood shake made up of high-quality plant-based nutrients. It's got greens, superfruits, plant proteins, antioxidants, adaptogens, probiotics. In other words, literally everything that your body craves to feel your best. And I know what you're thinking. Something that good for me cannot possibly taste good. Mm, wrong. That's where Kachava really earns their over 52,000 five-star reviews. It actually tastes freaking amazing. It's very creamy and smooth, and it comes together with just water. And it comes in five delicious flavors. Personally, vanilla and chai are my personal favorites, but it also comes in chocolate, matcha, and coconut acai, which I still need to try. Some people like to drink it as part of a healthy breakfast or lunch, and other people love it as a protein-packed snack before or after a workout. It's really perfect for that because it has 25 grams of plant protein per serving. Personally, I like to add mine to my overnight oats. I add a scoop and I mix it all up to get a little more protein into my oats. And literally, I can have that for breakfast and feel satiated, nourished, beautiful, functioning, all throughout my day. It's incredible. Please send me more of it because I love it so much. It makes me feel very, very good. And guess what, guys? Kachava is offering our listeners 10% off for a limited time. Just go to kachava.com slash morbid, spelled K-A-C-H-A-V-A, and get 10% off your first order. That's K-A-C-H-A-V-A.com slash morbid. They were quickly able to rule out the people who spent the most time in the church after hours, which was like Reverend Gibson and both the janitors. So the janitors like George King and Frank Sademan, they were both ruled out pretty quickly. And one of the glaring reasons for this was that they both, they all had keys to all the places in the church and would not have a need to break the locks. Right. So the next place they turned their attention was the next name that kept coming up which was Theodore Durant, the church handyman. Mm -hmm. Luckily, although it seems like they were ignoring Theo up until this point, and you're like, what the fuck? Detective Gibson was already thinking that it was him. Right. Before they had even found Blanche, Detective Gibson had Theodore in his head. Because he's been hearing it, too. Exactly. He had received the reports from witnesses who all saw Theo with Minnie and with Blanche after he cleared the reverend and the janitor. So it was time to close in on this fucker. He was like, I've cleared all the people I needed to. So April 14th, the day after Minnie was found, the day that Blanche was found, very quickly, they went to his home to collect him for questioning. And they got Isabella, his mother, answering the door. 
She allowed them to search the Durant home and she followed him them everywhere. Mm. And she was insisting that Theo was innocent, that they were wrong. Reporters had also made their way inside while this search was happening because it's, it's the 1800s. Yeah. Um, and just like she, loud. It's like traipsing right yeah, in. Yeah, they're just walking right through. And she decided to show um, her compassion and understanding by saying this. Oh, no. I cannot understand why they would why they should connect our boy with this crime. He has too many young lady acquaintances of his own class and social standing to be under the necessity of paying attention to a little servant girl. Wow, what an asshole. You're a bitch. <laughs> like, wow. Also, you're not of high class either. And it's like, that's absolutely the crux of the issue here, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, for them, it was. Theo had, had dated, again, both Minnie and Blanche. He had also dated that woman, Flora, just to recap from the first episode here. And Flora was very wealthy and from a higher social class. Theo was obsessed with this idea. His mother was obsessed with the idea of raising his social standing as high as she could. He also was really into letting people, like I said in uh, part one, know that he wanted everyone to know that he was a stud and he liked to walk around letting people know that he had this great sexual prowess and had all the experience. But in reality, he had none. Right. And again, Flora refused to sleep with him until they were married. So he found Minnie. And because of her social class and job, which was a maid, he assumed that she would just sleep with him. Minnie would not. So he moved on to Blanche and quickly tried to lock her down to sleep with her. He knew a girl of her social standing would never sleep with him unless they were married. He was a pig. Yeah. He was a fucking pig. Here, here. Cheers. Here, here. It is obviously in how he left them both, which is what we just talked about them. He viewed them very differently, even though both of them wouldn't sleep with him. And like I said, it was that supposed to sleep with me thing with Minnie. You were supposed to and Mm -hmm. you didn't. But Theo wasn't at home while they searched it. He had been at the Signal Corpse exercise in Walnut Creek. And detectives found one full pair of shoes in his closet, but they also found a shoe that was missing a match. And if you remember, the killer only stepped in blood with one shoe. Imagine that. How coincidental. Now, this was very significant, obviously, but they didn't know this information yet. When they were searching his house, they did not know that they had found only one shoe print in blood. So they didn't collect the shoes. Oh, shit. Which is a bummer. Or the shoe. Then Sergeant Burke was exiting the home and saw on the stairway that there was a coat hanging by the front door. It was clearly a man's coat, so he asked Isabella, is that Theo's? She didn't answer, but instead she lunged to grab it before he could. Girl, like, I understand. I can't imagine the feeling of, like, oh, my gosh, my child's being accused of this. But you got to cooperate. Don't get in the way of justice. That's the thing. And it's like, and if you're, you really believe your son is innocent. Then that, there that should be nothing doesn't on that mean coat. Anything. Exactly. Well, he was able to get it first. And they looked in the pocket and they found a woman's purse in <gasps> the pocket. Girly girl. There wasn't any blood on the purse or anything, but they found Why a woman's purse. a woman's purse? purse? Meanwhile, Detective Abraham Anthony and a bunch of other officers were heading to Walnut Hill to officially arrest Theo. Girl, bye. This is wild to me. Earlier in the day, while the search was being held at the Durant home, Detective Anthony had sent word to the signal corps telling them that Durant had to be held there for police to come arrest him. Everyone at the corpse, including Theo, thought it was a joke. So they just ignored that and they started making their way back to base. Oh, my God. Like, they were just going to let him go. 
but luckily they got there before they let them him go. And when the um, when Theo and all of the other people that work there had reached the trailhead, they were greeted by Detective Anthony and the San Francisco police force waiting to arrest Theo. Oh, I love it. For the murder of Minnie Williams, because at this point in the day, they had not found Blanche yet. Ah. So he was only arrested for Minnie Williams' murder. He immediately said he was innocent and tried to resist, but Detective Anthony showed him the news reports on the on the discovery of Minnie's body, mm-hmm. and all he could say was, "I'm sorry for my mother. How can she stand it?" Ah, uh, like, that's he's an admission guilty. of guilt. Yeah, he's guilty. He wasn't even handcuffed. They didn't handcuff him because they weren't worried about Theodore. That happened in another case that we've covered recently. Yeah. I feel like. Yeah, you're right. Who wasn't handcuffed? Oh, um, and he bent down to get the axe. Or no, he no, he was handcuffed, wasn't he? You're right. Was it um It was the um the torso murders. Yeah. Or but, no, it excuse me, it was the um um the towpath murders. Yes, wasn't it? yes, yeah. yep. Uh yeah. They was, did that was a that was a wily one too. Yeah, that was a botched one. But anyway, yeah, that's right. fucking he was, wild. He was able to to hide the hatchet yep. under the car seat. Yeah. You're right. Um but yeah, he they did not they did not um handcuff him at all. Uh he was taken all the way back to city without to the city without handcuffs. And at one point he asked if they could let him go to the post office really quick. And Detective Anthony sat at a saloon while Theo was left to go to the post office alone. They were like, Yeah, yeah, just go run your errand. It's yeah, fine. they were like, It's cool. It's like, are you kidding and me? And he sat at a saloon. Well, he did that. He's like, I'm just going to have like a quick little drink. You do your errand and then we'll get to this murder investigation later. Yeah, we'll take you to jail after. It's going to be great. He apparently came back. They were able to bring him back. That's kind of wild. He, he probably came, knew that he wasn't going to get far. Well, he kept telling them he was innocent. He didn't even at one point he said he didn't even know those girls. But then he was like, wait, I did. I, Sir, I 99,000 gajillion people saw yeah. you with those girls. But then he said he hadn't seen them in months. And then it switched to weeks. And then the, the story just kept slipping and slipping as he kept talking and talking. It just yeah. got different and different. The media was already losing their shit. Yeah. Word of Theo's arrest had gotten out by the time they reached the ferry station with their prisoner. Yeah. Headlines were saying like San Francisco Jack the Ripper caught started theorizing that he was responsible for a number of other murders or missing people in the San Francisco area, which I don't believe he was. No. They couldn't be satisfied with just two women being brutally murdered. The crowds were really angry, too. They were ready to hang him themselves. Same. He was called called the demon of the Belfry later, and people would gather outside the police stations to get their hands on him. People were pissed. Before he was led to his cell, Theo was allowed to make a statement to the press. And he said, How'd that go? The last time I met Miss Lamont was on the morning of the day she disappeared. I thought it was weeks. Yeah. She talked about books, and I promised to bring her to prayer meeting that night. Miss Lamont did not come to the meeting, and the following Friday, I took the book to her house and gave it to her sister. The latter told me Blanche had gone to school, evidently trying to keep the fact of her disappearance a secret. This is all I know of the Lamont case. The last time I saw Minnie Williams was three weeks ago. Wrong. That's not true. He was sent to, so he was sent to jail and he was a ham in there. He wasn't upset at all. He was very jovial with the press. He would order restaurant food to be, be delivered to him. How did, like, oh, the Grubhub in yeah, prison? Yeah, apparently. He, he decorated his cell with things like a rocking chair that was sent by his mother. 
he would like laugh and joke with his cellmates. He was this having a great time. <laughs> that like truly, this is America though. Oh, this is this America. Is San Francisco. Oh shit. Yeah, he's just from Canada. He, and this is the 1800s. It's just a weird time. You just get your rocking chair. Delivered. That's my answer for everything. It's the 1800s, honestly. Um, but this, you know, this was all very scary and very off-putting to everyone witnessing it because they were like, "What the fuck?" Well, and it's such a testament too to how everybody had this view of him yes. because look at him he yeah. like he very clearly did these carried out these two murders and then just sat in prison and was like can i get a rocking chair yeah can you pick up my prime delivery can i have a sandwich please like and just acted fine yeah. but then at night he would wake up and he would scream in his sleep yeah that motherfucker was haunted tormented Good. in his sleep they said he would thrash around and the guards at first thought this was possibly him trying to ramp up for an insanity defense sure but it wasn't I think it was him genuinely being tortured in his sleep by Blanche and Minnie. Good. I hope it was. No. And I think that was him putting on that face during the day of being like, I don't give a shit, whatever. But then at night, yeah. the demons came. Yeah. It's like Albert Fish. Yeah. He was held in jail without bail. And he pled not guilty for both murders at his arraignment and preliminary hearings. Lies. And when he made the pleas, the judge noticed he had a different reaction for both, which I think plays right into the, the my theory of like how he looked at these two women when asked to plead for blanche's murder theo looked away and apparently barely mumbled under his breath not guilty mm -hmm. like wouldn't even look at the judge when asked to plead to minnie's murder he was strong clear and loud yeah and looked him right in the eye you're right it plays right into yeah. it now august 5th during a court appearance he was escorted from his cell and as he entered the courtroom via staircase, it was the first and only time that he was physically attacked by someone in the crowd. Oh, shit. So he and the officer holding him were attacked by a man who the jailer was able to push away. But this man came out of nowhere and was like about to push them down the staircase. But this guy came right back with, quote, his, ha his right hand in his overcoat pocket as if on a weapon. Uh -oh. And he rushed towards Theo. Now, the jailer, it was like the chief jailer, A.J. Sattler, was able to fight off this man again with some struggle. But this man was just kicked out of the building. No one got his ID and no one checked what weapon he had, if he had any. And huh. he was just sent on his way. I wonder if he was somebody that, I mean, he had to have been like connected to Minnie or Blanche. Yeah. Maybe a suitor, maybe a maybe. cousin, who knows? Could it was be anybody. so strange. That was the only time that someone was able to get to him to attack him. But the crowds were very angry. Damn. Um. And they were massive. People wanted blood. And they actually had to get really creative eventually when bringing him in and out of the courtroom because it was dangerous. Wow. After all, this was San Francisco's Jack the Ripper. Mm -hmm. And he was called that in the press daily. Oh, so wow. people were just getting that. And this was only in the, this was right after Jack the Ripper. And in these London. are two young girls who were loved in the community. Yeah, absolutely. Now, um, the, again, anybody called the demon of the Belfry is going to be public enemy number one. Mm -hmm. So they started posting fake court dates and times oh. so that they could offset the crowd for his transport to courts. And he was completely unfazed, calm, very quiet through all of this. In fact, one reporter asked a jailer if they were worried that Theo might try to escape out of an empty window that they had sat him next to. <laughs> Because Theo was just, like, looking out the window, and they were like, aren't you a little worried he's going to, like, try to escape out there? And the jailer said, he isn't that kind. Huh. Like, they were literally like, no, I'm not worried about that Let's not underestimate this guy who's yeah. on trial for uh, these two murders. Because you've all underestimated him. Everybody he's ever met has underestimated him. Right. And look what happened. 
So just before being transferred from the city prison to the county jail, Theo had to have his photo taken to be added to the San Francisco rogues gallery. It's like all the mugshots. Sure. He apparently, quote, preened and posed and then asked for copies. The fuck? Yeah. Like, dude, if you're not guilty of this, you wouldn't ask for copies. You're not helping yourself. Yeah. And also, while the trial was going on, Theo told a friend who was visiting him that he would like to send his condolences to Blanche's family. He wanted to send flowers and a card. Oh, that's so fucked up. Yep. But not Minnie's. No. Huh. Isn't that interesting? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. He was thoroughly discouraged from doing this. Um, and this could be looked at as one of two of a few things. He was immature and vain yep. and not really taking into consideration the seriousness of what he had done or that he was disassociating from this entire thing because he was just, I don't even know. Or that he's an evil motherfucker and exactly. wanted to have them have flowers from him in their mm-hmm. home. That's what I think. Just now, like this, the thing with the book. It was an alibi, but I also think it was, let me stand in front of this girl's sister that I just brutally exactly. murdered, and she has no idea. And she has no idea. Exactly. Everyone loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's Journey. June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story, taking you back to the glamour of the 1920s with a diverse cast of characters. It is right up my alley. You can collect scraps of information to fill your photo album and learn more about each character as you go along playing. Play as June Parker and investigate beautifully detailed scenes of the 1920s whilst uncovering the mystery of her sister murder. With hundreds of mind-teasing puzzles, the next clue is always within reach. Chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. You'll even get the chance to play in a detective league to put your skills to the test. One of my favorite parts of the game was creating my own estate island. I thought that was so much fun, and I also love chatting with other players. Relax and lose yourself in this captivating quest of mystery, murder, and romance. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Now, the crowds were shocked at his nonchalance as well. They told the press that he looked completely unfazed by it all, and in particular, he was seen yawning and expressing his, quote, obvious indifference while dr bartlett the medical examiner was detailing the extent of the injuries inflicted upon both women wow he yawned wow yeah now on september 3rd 1895 district attorney william barnes made the opening statement in the people versus durant he laid out the facts that theodore durant courted blanche was known to have made sexual advances towards her and was witnessed by the entire nation as being with her and entering the church on the day she died He just let the facts, the evidence, and the witnesses do the job for him. He was like, they're pretty convincing. I don't really have to do a whole lot. Uh And he was right. Also, Barnes was really aware that 
he was being touted as like that Theo was being touted as like a lunatic in the press and like a deviant, basically like those are verbatim words. And there was a ton of negative press about him and the public sentiment had very much turned against him. Good. So he didn't want to evoke any of that in his opening statement because Uh he was like, I'm going to let this all speak for itself. Mm -hmm. And if I look like I'm relying on this press stuff and this negative sentiment, it will take away from the fact that this is, really just a slam dunk case right which was, i think was a really good way to go about it and it worked out in the end yeah especially back then to have yeah. that kind of thought to like deal with to know how to deal with the media truly now they brought up dr john bartlett like i said who performed the autopsies and he actually went into a great deal about the horrific violence that blanche had endured he was very thorough he explained even the autopsy process, which was really cool. If you read, um, like, I, I can even maybe post one of the pages in this book. When he talks about it, he goes, I mean, it's pages of him going through, like, meticulously what he did during that autopsy. Things that are like, I, I opened this and I looked in here and this is what I found and this means this. So he made it so that, so that the jury really understood the process and understood why his answers were the way they were, which was so smart Good for him because he brought them into the world. He, he taught them how this goes. And then he said, and that my friends is why I can conclude that this happened to you on because I, because I just told you this. I think it was such a smart way to go about it. And it's very different than what I've seen back then. Like it happened obviously, but this was one of those cases where it was just like, wow, yeah, good on you. You go girl. So, Officer George Russell was another one that I was, like, shocked by. He was just one of the officers that was working the case, but he actually handmade a scale model of the Emanuel Baptist Church. What? And its belfry. My God. Just to show the jury a visual representation of the crime scene. That is crazy. And there's a picture of it in the book that I have, and it's wild. This is a school for ants. Literally, it looks like that. (laughs) (laughs) So they brought in Minnie Edwards, who was Blanche's new friend there that she was at the streetcar stop with. She testified to walking with Blanche from school that day that she went missing. She testified to the clothing that she was wearing and that they were, in fact, the ones that were found in the Belfry rafters and how she was approached by Theodore and they went to the church together. She testified to the fact that the books found in the rafters bound in twine were the ones that Blanche was holding that day and that they were still bound because she had not gone home. Oh. So she also testified that Theo carried those books for her. Uh Uh-huh. So Elizabeth Crossett, or Crossett, excuse me, testified that she too, Elizabeth was our our one that loved Theo. Wanted the, yeah. yeah, She was going to help her her. off. Um, She had testified that she had seen Theo and she said, and now I know I saw Blanche on that streetcar. Um, she said I was going to help him for help. Uh, I was going to ask him for help off the streetcar, but he had exited with Blanche before I could. Again, showing he was with Blanche. Yeah. Henry, Henry Jacob Shelmont was the streetcar conductor that day, and he testified that he had seen Blanche and Theo together, just as Minnie had testified. He said, "Quote: At that time, a young man was with her whom I whom I had never seen before. I have seen him since. He is the defendant in this case." Oy. He then said. Quote, I noticed the young man sitting with his arm around her, holding the transfers between his fingers, like the tickets, and he was talking very pleasantly with her. He had one of his arms around her, not exactly hugging her, but protecting her back from rubbing against the hard boards of the dummy. And the dummy is like the seat. Yep. So he's pointing out that he was being very touchy with her, very flirty with her. 
Next, Martin Quinlan, David Clark, and Caroline Leak all testified that they'd seen Theo enter the church with Blanche on that afternoon, April 3rd, right before her time of death, and Dr. Barrett was there to say, yes, that was her time of death. Now, apparently, it was very hot in the court that day. It was like a thousand degrees. The crowds were making it worse. Like, they had tons of testimonies happening. Too many people were in there. People were smoking in there, too. Oh, God. Basically, everyone was suffocating. And so one of the jury members, actually, his name was Horace Smythe. He got angry at the judge, and he was like, how can you let this continue under these insufferable conditions? It's like a circus. And then he said, I refuse to continue serving on this jury until conditions are improved. Like, you need to change. He's like, I can't listen to this. We love an aware king. We do. Know how you should be treated, all right? And lay your boundaries out. Yeah. And so the judge did agree and was like, we have to stop this. So they had to stop. And he said, I have to only let, the, like, the, he had to basically, uh, like, go with the occupancy limits of the room. Because I mean, they were very over go. that. <laughs> he said that no, there was a ban on smoking in the courtroom. And they made sure that there was fresh air and ice water for everybody. So they made everything much more comfortable. So the defense team had their work cut out. Yeah. They were headed by Eugene Dupre and John Dixon. Uh, They argued that Theo was actually at Cooper Medical School attending a lecture when this was going on. Did anyone see him there? Well, they said they could provide lecture notes and roll call as proof. Okay. Unfortunately... The lecture notes could not be proven to be taken by Theo. And in fact, they did not match his handwriting. So bye. And the roll call actually listed him as not present. Basically, he wasn't marked as present because he wasn't there. But the roll taker didn't believe him to be absent. So they marked him to be like assumed present. So many people have such faith in Theo. The wildest. Crazy. Also, people in the lecture said they didn't see him there that day. But then a few of them said they might have seen him. Yeah. Hardly anything concrete. That's that's beyond a reasonable doubt. Essentially, the defense really didn't have anything to work with. No. They would come out swinging and cross-examine with gusto, and then it would all just fall apart between their eyes. Like, they would come out there with such confidence, and then it would just get taken apart. <laughs> Goodbye. In McConnell's book, she, they said, quote, their cross-examinations were endless fishing expeditions launched out of a desperate desire to find something they could use to raise a reasonable doubt in the mind of just one juror. It failed. Every witness was just completely pulled apart by the prosecution. None of them could be certain about anything that would help prove Theo's innocence. They even subpoenaed the entirety of Cooper Medical College to the class that they were in. Uh They could barely get anyone to even kind of remember maybe seeing him that day. They got more who said that he was 100% not there. Boom. There it is. So then they threw a Hail Mary and they put Theo on the stand, which is never a good idea. But they actually didn't destroy their case completely at first. He definitely didn't do a great job at the end. Didn't you say he, like, wouldn't say what his birthday was? Yes. So he was, at first, he was calm. He was cool. He was collected. He was impeccably dressed, which does help in these scenarios. Uh Isn't that so sad? I know. He was very prepared ahead of time. So that helped him a lot. They definitely prepped him completely ahead of time. And he said anyone who saw him, who said they saw him with Blanche or Minnie, was mistaken. Okay. So just a lot of mistaken people everywhere. Yeah, how convenient. That's not his problem. No. And this is when he wouldn't say whether his birthday was April 24th, 1871. He just said, quote, I know the date of my birthday as a matter of history, just as a matter of record. What? 
And they were like, is that your fucking birthday, you idiot? Yeah, and he like, was what like, what does that mean, sure. dude? But, like, he had to be difficult. Yeah. And it's like, you that doesn't make you sound good. Doesn't help your case at no. all. So then... He was cross-examined by Barnes, and his composure started to waver. Mm. Barnes hammered him about all of the contradictory statements he had made since being arrested and on the stand. He cross-examined him for two full days, and at the end, Barnes had successfully blown up Theo's alibis and his composure, for that matter. So... And so the, he was able to pick everything apart. That that medical college thing, you weren't there. Yeah. We know you weren't there. Not a single like, person blew will it up. you. Definitely put it in the minds of the juries that this is bullshit. He riled him up. He got him rattled. He got him to get a little angry. He got him. He did his job. So they brought back up George King, who was the janitor at the church the evenings that this was happening. And he was one who saw Theo after he had supposedly killed Blanche. He testified that when he saw him, he, quote, said he stood there a moment and then passed through the church. He stood pale and disheveled, his hair must, the pallor of nervous shock and a nervous exertion on his face. Huh. What was he doing? He had just killed someone. Now, in the end, the prosecution had several credible witnesses that were 100% sure about Theo being in Blanche's presence up until they walked into that church. And the defense had not one person who would 100% say he was in that lecture at that time. So they had nothing. Assistant District Attorney Edgar Pexoto, I believe his name is, said as much in his closing arguments. Okay. He said, you cannot be unmindful of the fact of the importance of this trial. From the day it was first heralded to the world, this case has struck terror and horror in the minds of all the reading public, for it strikes at the very foundation of our lives. It means doubt as to whether when you bid your daughter, your sister, your wife, one near and dear to you, a farewell in the morning, and she is in her innocence, goes forth to her daily advocation, is she to return to you safe and well and undefiled? Or is she to be lured by perfidy, cajolery, cunning, and persuasion of some fiend in man's habiliments, to such lone spot and there robbed of virtue and honor, murdered, defiled, and her body desecrated? It means are even your houses of God safe, or are they to be converted into carnal houses, receptacles for the victims of lustful murderer? Shit. Like, damn. Like, if you're in the jury, you're like, yeah. 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 Whatever you said. You're yep. like throwing up like a rock on sign. Just absolutely, dude. On the afternoon of November 1st, 1895, the jury was sent to their chamber to deliberate and returned with a verdict after just 20 minutes. Yeah, that's when you know. We, if you know, you know. Yeah. We, the jury, find William Henry Theodore Durant guilty of first of murder in the first degree. Ooh. Now, according to the press, quote, the verdict was received with a shout of applause from the auditors who packed the courtroom. And the closing scene of the great trial was full of dramatic interest, pathos, and excitement. Well. Weirdos. We cover some spooky stories, but truly nothing is scarier than the thought of hens being trapped in their cages. That like really upsets me to my core. But at Happy Egg, all of their hens roam on eight or more acres of land, leaving no mystery to why their eggs are the best. They're cared for by small family farmers and they live their best hen lives day in and day out. You go, Hennifer. Aside from their hens roaming across eight plus acres of farmland, they have plenty of access to fresh water and nutritious feed. 
love that. This goes above traditional free-range farming, but it's what they believe is better for their birds overall. And all of this results in eggs with the most plump, delicious, sexy orange yolks that are full of flavors. I am personally so obsessed with Happy Egg that last Sunday I used my last Happy Egg and I almost started to cry. And then I scoured the internet for the closest Happy Egg near me and it was 30 minutes away. And I genuinely planned to convince Drew to drive all the way out there and get them with me, but I couldn't. And that's why I need Happy Eggs to please send me a carton of eggs every week. I love you. Thank you so much. So next time you're at the store though, look for the yellow carton. Choose Happy. Visit happyegg.com slash morbid to find a store near you. And then I have a couple of little passages that I wanted to read from my book. Let me open <laughs> up to book. They were just interesting um, parts of the the uh, ending arguments. And I just wanted to say, so who was it that that did this one? You might be able to hear the papers. And for that, I am sorry. <laughs> um, so one of the prosecution's ending arguments, they said this. The devil and the angel sent, entered the house of, a, of God. Come hither, said the devil. Let us ascend together the belfry leading toward heaven. Into the belfry went Blanche Lamont and Theodore Durant. There they were alone. Passion predominating in this perverted man asserted himself. A weak maiden fighting for her virtue and her honor. A pervert, fiend, and devil fighting to satiate an insatiable and overruling passion. His strong arms grasped her, his fingers stiffened on her throat, her breath stopped, her struggles ceased, and Theodore Durant was a murderer. Whoa. I was like, damn. Like, you, you're trying to write a book out here, yeah. sir. I was like, that's a lot. Um, and then I have another part. I believe this is, um, yeah, this is Mr. Barnes. So this is the, pro the head prosecutor. Okay. He said, the individual who perpetrated the hideous crime with which the defendant stands charged and which has, harrow has harrowed the soul and frozen the blood of this community is no ordinary criminal. And his crime in every respect in which it may be considered is without parallel. It was not committed under a blind and furious impulse for revenge, some real or fancied wrong to his persons, his property, or his character, not from motives or gang or gain, not in the commission of a robbery, nor yet under the hot spur of jealousy, that hell of the injured lover. It was in every sense a cold-blooded, vicious murder. It was without the slightest provocation or apparent excuse or palliation. So he's literally like, this is one of, because they were, again, they were shocked that this kind of murder was something that was happening now. Yeah. Was that like, it, there usually needs to be a reason, like a, a tangible reason. And there really gain, wasn't one here. And there really wasn't. So this, this verdict was definitely kind of a catharsis for the injustice that came from the actual Jack the Ripper case in London only a few years before this. Right, because it actually had an ending. It had an ending. And this, again, this kind of murder was new and scary. It wasn't for money. It wasn't for gain. It was murder for murder. Murder for a body. Murder to hurt and maim and shame. And that's it. Yeah. And they had only seen that in Jack the Ripper. So days after the verdict had been read, the coroner, William Hawkins, this is very interesting, one of the coroners, got a letter from a man by the name of George Reynolds. This letter was a bombshell Is and it claimed the Reynolds pamphlet. The Reynolds pamphlet. <laughs> That's all I can so, think of. <laughs> it could be considered that. He claimed that he and several other men had actually been recruited by the defense, by Theodore's defense team, to quote, put together some stories 
that would give Theo an alibi for each of the two murders. Ooh, you're in trouble. This letter also said the man was planning to kill himself and wanted to confess his sins before he did. And that's why he was writing this letter. Oh, shit. Detectives could not locate the man by that name. He could have been using a false name. Yeah. But the letter, they said, included a lot of details that would have been unknown to the public. So they believe it was authentic. That's for real. Yeah. How creepy. Isn't that wild? I hope that man didn't end his life. I know. It's sad. But after he was found guilty, Theo started going on a rampage, writing letters to anyone that he felt could help him in his appeals. Mm -hmm. He was ready to appeal it. He said he was innocent. He claimed it constantly. And he ended up taking his appeals to the U.S. Supreme Court. I knew he was going to do that. By October 1897... It was clear that he was starting to lose his resolve to fight the appeals. And according to the New York Times at the time, quote, he has betrayed signs of nervousness and irritability. And even the visits of his parents have been received with an indifference, which has shocked his visitors. By November 8th, 1897, the U.S. Supreme Court upheld the earlier decision. So that was his final appeal. Yeah. Leading up to his execution date, Theo's personality took a sharp turn. He was very agitated, very unpredictable. He was mad. He was constantly yelling about his innocence. But then when the day came, everyone said he was completely calm and completely accepting. Yeah. That's eerie. Scary. Now, January 7th, 1897, 24-year-old Theodore Durant. 24 years old. He was 24. Four, you guys. just dropped a straight up bomb. I know. On I all just had us. to. I was like, I got a twenty four years 24. old. Y'all, that's younger than me. That's young. That is real young. He was visited by a priest, and guards said he was heard saying, "No, I will not confess the murders because I am not guilty." You are though. He's guilty. He was executed by hanging at San Quentin Prison at 10.37 a.m. that morning. And on the gallows, he addressed the crowd that had gathered and said, quote, I do not hold anything against the reporters. I forgive them as I expect to be forgiven for everything that I have done. Probably not. But the fair name of California will forever be blackened with the crime of taking this innocent blood. Um, no. I don't think so. No. Whenever you're up there saying, I forgive the reporters, that's because you know you did it. Exactly. You're not up there innocent as a newborn babe saying, I forgive the press. Who gives a shit? You're not, like, no one's asking you to do it. You're doing that for show. For and because and you know you did it and right. you know that it's fine to say you forgive them because they were telling the truth. It's always surprising when people back then don't confess before yeah. they're killed or executed because they held it like religion in such yeah. high regard. And especially and Theo. Yeah. yeah, he did. It's weird that he that he was like, nope, I'm but not then admitting to it. If you think about it, he held religion in such high regard. But then what he did in the house of God is whoa yeah like the, that obviously he held it in a different kind of regard because if yeah. he was able to do that in in the lord's house yeah then he obviously didn't give a shit about it much but apparently um san quentin authorities had a lot of trouble finding a crematorium that would accept his body i love that so, so much he was actually unburied for over a week while they were trying to find them and finally one in pasadena was willing to do it mm. which i was like all right fine okay pasadena and as a last little thing for this because it's such a wild case and it just like this blew my mind so according to an article by katie dowd 
um, from 2006. She wrote it for the San Francisco Gate. Um, we'll we'll put that link in there too. It's called The Tale of the Demon of the Belfry. Um, during Theo's trial, a woman that was from Oakland came was so obsessed with this trial. Like this is just to show you how how closely people followed this. Like it was nationwide. People were obsessed with this. This lady from Oakland was so obsessed with it that she was having her husband read her the full trial transcripts every day. And it would take like hours. Yeah. Because they were long. Was he like, why the fuck are you so interested in this? Well, finally, he just started reading her the summaries because he was like, here's the information. He returned home. She found out. He returned home one day. All the furniture was gone. And there was a note that said she was dissatisfied with her home and wanted to change. What? She literally divorced him and left because he read her the summaries of the trial transcripts and not the whole thing. And that's for real. That's for real. That's straight up like truths. What the fuck? Like that was she she would have listened to true crime podcasts. She would have listened to all of them. (laughs) Like she she's a lot. She's a she's a lot. Oh my yeah. god. Yeah. And she took all the furniture. I'm like, how did you arrange for that, Chica? She left. She, she said, was out of there. You left me the you read me the summaries. Damn. This isn't the marriage I thought it was. She said, for better, for worse, and no summaries in between. No summaries. Wow. What a wild lady. Yeah. So I fully believe that Theodore Durant was guilty. Same. Uh there was there was a lot of evidence, be it circumstantial, but also physical. There was, he was seen with them last. He was seen with them at the times of their death. I mean, he was seen with Minnie at eight o'clock entering the church. Her time of death was around 830. Yeah. Hello. Yeah. And then like, he was seen leaving and then showed up to a party late and disheveled. Yeah. Like that tells you everything you need to know. Yeah. Come on. And it's like somebody who's familiar with the church. Yep. We know that he was missing a shoe from one of his shoe pairs. That's crazy. The killer had stepped in the blood with one shoe. Did they ever determine if that was Minnie or Blanche's purse that was on his purse? I don't think they did. I didn't find any. But it's got to be. But it's got to be one of them. Yeah. I would assume. But yeah, I fully believe that he did it. I fully believe that we will unfortunately probably never know why he did it. Like fully. But I think your theory makes sense. I theorize, but and I think he something was off there was some darkness in there and you think the meningitis i think the meningitis could have definitely like agitated whatever was off exactly i think it could have like kind of lit the spark there was some darkness in there and that lit the spark and boom can meningitis so meningitis makes your brain like swell is that what you're saying yeah and it's it can cause a lot of neurological damage okay so yeah so maybe in the in the frontal lobe there yeah and they can they found they believe he had a lot of neurological damage from his bout but he it. was um he was cremated he was cremated oh that sucks that they couldn't have yeah, to, like dig him up cremated. and check his brain out to see what was going on there i know but i mean by now that thing would be that's true yeah literally nothing or like you know too bad they didn't do they could have done it back then though they should have yeah because something was up there same with Bundy. We've said that before, too. We said, I mean, about, about a lot of them, to yeah. be honest. Like, I really do think we should take more time to look at these brains. Yeah. But then again, like, when you look, I go back and forth because I'm like, is there something? Or is it just... Or are people just evil, like, people, in their spirit? It's, like, who you are. Maybe it's, I think it's a case-by-case case situation. That's the thing. I wonder if, like, there is anything that's a common tie. I don't know if there is. I don't know if it's just 
I don't know. But head, but but like head damage and like like TBIs sure. a lot lead like tend to lead to But why does it lead to some and not to others? That's true. Like why is somebody who had like six concussions not out there murdering everybody? But it's this like, guy who bonked his head once is killing everybody. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's something that already has to be there. Like with but Theo, that's the, thing. the meningitis. What is it? It was already there, but exactly what There's is no, it? There's no I feel like there that common link we have just not found it. And yet. maybe it's not in the brain. Maybe it's just in the in the soul it's in the soul there there in, she is in one of the i there's mean a, there's a woo girl there's a woo girl <laughs> she i know david uh, our friend again was saying he was like i forget that you're into new age shit i was like i don't even think i'm into new age shit i'm just weird you like, are i love it just though. a spiritual girly just, just, just a woo girly just you know a, just a cottage core witch over here there you go so wow. what do you guys think I know. What do you? What are your thoughts on this? And um, I'll I'll post the. I'll make sure. I'll. Ah! What will I do? What I am I gonna I do? <laughs> I'm gonna make sure that the photos are posted. I'll take photos of them and send them over. So we'll they'll be with this on the uh, Insta. On the interweb. On the Insta. Well, guys, with all that being said, we're totally freaking interested in what you have to say about yeah, this. So I let us know. know. And we hope you keep listening. And we hope you keep it weird but not so weird that any of this because ooh, that's crazy theo did it yeah i mean i i he did everything except write a book that said if i did it yeah he definitely did it i think he did it Follow Morbid on the Wondery app, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to episodes early and ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey. If you're listening to this podcast, then chances are good you are a fan of The Strange, Dark, and Mysterious. And if that's true, then you're in luck. Because, once again, Mr. Ballin Podcast, Strange, Dark, and Mysterious Stories is available everywhere you get your podcasts. Each week on the Mr. Ballin Podcast, you'll hear new stories about inexplicable encounters, shocking disappearances, true crime cases, and everything in between. Like our recent episode titled White Dust. After a middle-aged couple fail to answer their daughter's messages and calls, the daughter drives the few hours to her parents' house to check on them, But after arriving and seeing both her parents' cars in the driveway, the daughter gets an uneasy feeling and just can't stomach going inside. To hear the rest of that story and hear hundreds more stories like it, follow Mr. Ballin Podcast on Amazon Music or wherever you get your podcasts. Prime members can listen early and ad-free on Amazon Music.